Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, the title of this message is Letter to the World. Letter to the World. I guess it should be a letter to the world, but poetic license, letter to the world. In a moment, that title should make some sense. But before we get to the reason for that title, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had something happen to you in your life, something big happened to you in your life, that you were so compelled to tell others about it? You couldn't but tell your family members, friends, co-workers, or even absolute strangers. Maybe your life was spared of a tragedy and you wanted to tell people. Maybe you, you received unexpected provision in the mail and it was a large sum of money. Maybe you were healed from a decade-old illness or sickness. Maybe you've been praying for a friend or a relative for decades that they would know Jesus Christ. And then they responded. When something big happens in our lives, we want to tell one another. It's it's part of how God has made us. Well, this morning in Daniel chapter 4, the great and terrifying Nebuchadnezzar has a really a dramatic, life-changing experience that he wants us to know about. In fact, he wants the entire world to know about. Look at Daniel chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1. This is his letter to the entire world. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. That's his intended audience. Everyone, everywhere. Peace be multiplied to you, Verse 2, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks or you're not familiar with the book of Daniel or King Nebuchadnezzar, Those words should be shocking to us. He was a wicked, evil, terrible dictator. I imagine, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I imagine at times where he's been responsible to kill people. I can imagine him eating a big turkey leg as people's heads are just getting lopped off. He had no conscience, no remorse. He was a bad, bad man. And something happened in his life that changed his entire perspective of the God who made heaven and earth. And chapter 4 is his account of what happened. And so how we're going to do this message today is this is sort of, this is, I don't mean this in an insulting way, but this is sort of be story time with me for a bit of time. We're going to walk through this true story. And for those of you who have great imaginations and are extremely creative, I want your imaginations to run wild as you hear Nebuchadnezzar's description of the dream that, that he had that God gave him. So we're going to go through the dream, its interpretation, the fulfillment, 
And then lastly, how we should respond to it, how we should learn from Nebuchadnezzar's response. It's going to begin with a dream. And I want you to imagine as I read the dream, I want you to think Pixar. What would Pixar do with this dream? You're going to see big trees and different visual things that that might come to mind. Imagine what would Pixar do with this dream. So verse 4, we're going to go through the dream. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods. I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation." So this is kind of the pattern in Daniel. He has a dream. He calls for the wise men of his day and age and culture. They don't know what to do. Then he eventually breaks down, goes after Daniel because he knows Daniel knows the one and true God. And he asks Daniel for help. Now he's about to describe the dream. But before he does, when he says he was very afraid, think of this. This was a man who was was responsible for at least the death of thousands and thousands of people. This is a man that people feared, and rightly so, because he had the power, the authority, and the men to execute his judgments. Well, this dream, when it says he was afraid, the the word really means terror-stricken. He was so bothered that he he was scared out of his wits. And this would have been a man who did not scare easily. So let's go to the dream. This is in verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, think Pixar, and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. Verse 13, I saw the visions in my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said, chop down the tree. And lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the beast of the field from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots and the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. 
The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all of the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods lives in you. So he gives him a dream. Sigmund Freud would have loved this man. There's lots to work with in his mind. He gives him a dream, and we're going to know from Daniel's response that, that Daniel knows this is a vivid, descriptive dream, and it doesn't, doesn't bear well on King Nebuchadnezzar. But I want you to think of Daniel being in Daniel's position, evil ruler, could punish anyone. He's about to give a faithful interpretation of the dream because Daniel fears the Lord far more than an evil, wicked king. Look at verse 19. Here's the interpretation. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. His thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar, another name for Daniel, answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. In other words, we got some bad news coming your way, King Nebuchadnezzar. So here we go. Verse 20. The tree you saw which grew and became tr- strong so that its top reached to heaven, it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which all food for all under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and became strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one come down from heaven and say, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. In other words, Daniel says, this dream is about you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You are the tree that God is about to chop down. But listen to how Daniel explains this to him. Look at verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come, my lord the king that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you. Till, listen to this, you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted, acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, your iniquities by showing mercy, 
to the oppressed, that, you, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, this dream is about you. You're about to lose your mind. You're about to be sent out to the pasture like a grazing cow. Unless you turn. And I love how Daniel warns him. He doesn't just tell him. He doesn't do it in an angry tone. He just warns him. And Daniel, as a God-fearer, also has compassion on him. I, I hope this is for somebody else. Turns out it's not, but I wish it, I wish it was. Let me read one more big section, and then we'll see how this connects to our lives. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, so 12 months later, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And historians say as you were on this roof, he could look out and see all the grand things he built in his years as king ruler of the land. So he's looking. Verse 30, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time will pass over until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. So it happened. And think about this. This happened to the most powerful man in the known world. As he surveyed his people and his kingdom, he said, look what I have done. Look what I have built. Another way to say it is, all praise me, the great king Nebuchadnezzar. Well, you might be thinking, okay, sort of weird, interesting story. Uh, What in the world does that have to do with us and our lives today in 2016? I think it has a lot to do with us and our lives in 2016. And it might be a surprise to you, I think we have a lot more in common with King Nebuchadnezzar than we might think initially. He's not the only one that's ever given in to proud, arrogant thoughts. So what I want to do is just make some applications. There are more than I'm going to make, but some applications from this passage that we can learn about God about ourselves and how to live in light of Him. So the first one might seem a little pat, but let me explain it. Don't worry, heaven rules. Don't worry, heaven rules. If you were worked up during this election season process and then with it culminating in the election of Donald Trump, do not worry, heaven rules. One of the very clear, clearest messages in the book of Daniel, particularly in chapter 4, is that God is 
absolutely in control. No matter, in our day and age, it's not a kingship, it's an elected official. No matter who comes to, to the rise, to the toppest part of the, the rule, whether it's a king in, the, in, in his case, or in our case, Donald Trump, God is in control. God would be in control if Hillary Clinton got elected president. No matter who gets elected, not just in the U.S., but in any democracy throughout the world, whoever is the ruler, God is ultimately, absolutely, 100% in control. He rules. He's the king. He's in charge. Now you might say, well, how does that work? I don't know how it works in all the details. But I know God wants us to rest in this reality that heaven rules. God is on the throne. He says it twice in Daniel chapter 4. Look at verse 17 again. The sentence is by decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets it over the lowliest of men. God rules. He's in control. We do not need to worry. Can we be concerned? Can we express when wrong is done? Certainly. Do we participate in the process? Certainly we should. But when it does not go our way or when it does go our way, whatever the outcome Remember, God is on the throne. God is the ruler of heaven and earth. And whether it's the United States or any other country in the world, they're all passing away. There's only one eternal kingdom, and that is God's kingdom. And He is the ruler. You can rest in Him. Verse 37, a little sneak preview of what happens. Now I... King Nebuchadnezzar prays and extol and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar's experience of becoming, losing his mind and being set out to pasture, and that's literally what happened. He learned to submit to the King of Heaven and Earth. So if you're worried right now, if you're concerned, if you're worked up, here's a couple things under this heading of don't worry, heaven rules. Fix your eyes on the true king, the king of heaven who rules all things. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the leader you should be most concerned about. He's the leader you should think the most about. He's the leader you should study the most about. He's the leader you should write the most about. He's the leader you should be on Facebook talking about the most. He's the king who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So question, what, what or who 
have you been fixing your eyes on the last week, the last month, the last year? Heaven rules. Trust in the King of heaven. He is trustworthy. We serve a King, Jesus, that you can trust. That He fulfills every one of His promises. There is no politician in the history of politicians that has fulfilled every one of their promises. It will not exist. It does not exist. It's not happening. Does that mean they're all liars? I'm not saying they're all liars, but you know how the process works. And Well, I said that, but I meant that. Jesus does not do that. What He says is what he means, and you can stake your life on him. And I would urge you to do that. Rest in heaven. He is in absolute control. Mark started the service with this part of this passage, Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Some of you are I've been miserable the last week, the last month, the last six months. As you just think about things and and just keep rolling them over. That is not God's will for a believer in Jesus Christ. He wants you to be at rest. He wants you to experience His peace. He wants you to have absolute joy. And I'm not just talking about the political season. It could be all the different things that are swirling around in our lives. I love what Sheila shared this morning. Because she shared out of real live experience. Life has been very hard. God has been very faithful. Life is still hard. God is still faithful. Run to Him. Think about Him. Heaven rules. Second application point. Don't be arrogant. God opposes the proud. Do not be arrogant. God opposes the proud. We get this picture of Nebuchadnezzar. He's up on the balcony and he's surveying the land that he has built. And he says, verse 29. Is not this the great Babylon which I have built my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my majesty? I mean, he's just spewing pride and arrogance in all its worst form. Was well, believers in Jesus Christ, we have no room to be arrogant. We have no room to be proud. Pride can express itself in all kinds of different ways. I mean, remember what we are if you are a Christian. We are sinners who rebelled against God that He came after, that He opened our blind eyes, He gave life to our spiritually dead hearts, He gave us faith to trust in Jesus Christ as the free gift for our salvation. Completely unearned. Completely undeserved. Absolutely free because He loved us despite us. Well, if you get that, 
If you believe the last song we sang as we were closing the first part of the service, how, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sins upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. If you believe that, which I know many of you do, it should make you humble. It should motivate you to be very loving and kind and patient with others. Your pride in our lives can express itself in all kinds of twisted ways. Maybe for some, it's, it's achievements. That was Nebuchadnezzar's downfall. Now, to my knowledge, there are, there are no billionaires in the room, but it could be academic achievements, financial achievements, athletic achievements, musical achievements, parenting achievements, workplace achievements, ministry achievements. Does that mean it's wrong to strive and work hard and to achieve things? Not at all. The sin happens when we think we actually did it. If you are a brilliant scholar, well, the reason you're a brilliant scholar is because God gave you a brilliant mind. If you're an incredibly athlete, the reason you're so athletic is because God made you that way. Does that mean you don't play a part if you're a scholar or athlete? No, you, you work, but you work with the gifts and abilities God has given you. If you're a parent and your kids are following the Lord and, and, and loving the Lord and living for the Lord, that's a wonderful thing. I pray that for all the children represented in this room. But we know God is the Savior, not moms and dads who love Jesus. We play a part, but we do not save. We do not rescue. So don't take credit for something that is not yours to take credit for. Ministry achievements, maybe when you get involved with Christian things, they take off in a very good way. Well, the reason that happens is because God is merciful, gracious, has most likely given you gifts and abilities, and He wants to use you. But He doesn't want you to twist it. You think of the, even the, when the 70 disciples were sent out, they come back. Look what we did, Lord. The demons, they, they ran, they, they fled. The, the lame were walking, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing. And what did Jesus say to them? Do not rejoice in all those things. They're wonderful. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That should make you humble. So pride can express itself in achievements. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7 says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So if you've been very successful, transfer that success to a gracious, loving 
Lord, Savior, Maker, Creator. So how else does pride express itself? This one may hurt a little bit more. Our opinions in politics. I want you to think about this, and I know some of you are not on social media and want nothing to do with it, and I'd say just stay in that lane. That's a good, happy lane to be in. But for those of you who, who are on Facebook or Twitter or all of the above, how was your interactions last week, the last, let's say, seven days to 14 days, with what you wrote, with what you commented on, with what you said, with what you told others around you? Was it, I'll give you two choices, was it what you would expect from a wretch who's been saved by grace, received mercy that you do not deserve, and you were kind, and you were gentle, and you were patient with those that had a totally different perspective than you? Or was it blasting, pride, arrogance, just slamming people for their perspective? Because, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm on Facebook. I would say I saw a lot in this category this week. Not just from our church, but certainly from our church. And it is not fitting for a disciple of Jesus Christ to be blasting brothers and sisters. That's bad enough. Or unbelievers. I remember you know, one of my biggest stumbling blocks with Christianity before I became a Christian was going into a church building, but knowing the people that went there did not live out what they said they read and, and learned about in the book. We don't want to be a church like that. And this is not for all of you. This is for some of you. Because I love you. God loves you. Your words, whether in talking or written form, my words, whether, whether in talking or written form, they, they affect people. Proverbs says it this way, the tongue can bring death or life. ESV says, the power, the life and death is in the power of the tongue. Our words affect each other. Now you might say, well, Joe, I'm just so passionate about it, so concerned about it. I understand that, but there is a way to please and honor the Lord and disagree with one another. It often begins by asking questions and getting off social media. If you see something that someone posts and it lights you up and you know them, call them. Ask them to get together. Say, hey, you said this. It seems really intense and it seems angry. What's going on? And they might tell you all kinds of things that you did not know about them, their life, their background, why they wrote it, why it's important to them. And they might not know that you guys have a lot more in common than you think you do. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And it grieves God when we fight. I'm a parent. I don't like when my kids fight because you want them to get along. Now, I'm not naive. My kids are going to fight. I fall with my sister. But we are Christians God's Spirit in us. We need to learn to love each other when we disagree. I've been taking classes for the last 
year and a half or so, online counseling classes, and one of my favorite professors is a guy named Dr. David Pallison. And in these classes, at times, we are critiquing people all the time, books, authors, subjects, and he teaches the class to do it in a way that, that, that reminds them we're Christians. We've received love that we did not deserve. We're going to love those who disagree with us. The most vehement opponents, they're still created in the image of God. And if they don't know Christ, our greatest goal is not to convince them of our perspective. It's actually to win them to Jesus Christ. And so just this last week, I was telling Mark and Bob, I listened to a lecture where he went through a number of very prominent Christian leaders in the United States. And he graciously commended all the things that we have learned and benefited and he has learned. And then he went through and critiqued and said, here's where I think there's concerns. And then he was quick to tell the entire class, and this was a video, I was not in the classroom, said, I've gone to each of these men individually multiple times. And I've asked them questions. And they've pushed back. And we worked it out. That's, that's a picture of how we should be as humble Christians. Now you might think that the election caused all these problems. The election caused nothing. All the election did was squeeze some of us. It's a revealer. It's not the cause of what happened in social media and what's happening all over the country. It's a squeeze. And when some were squeezed, the response was what was inside. Maybe it was fear, maybe it was anger, maybe it was pride. It's too easy to blame it on outside circumstances. You are a follower of Jesus. You need to be right with Him. And so he cares about his kid's speech, his kid's actions, his kid's tone, because he loves us. You know, the Bible says it this way in the book of James. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's not my words, it's God's words. You're not in a good place when we're waving our angry fists at others. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So, pride can express itself in politics, but that, that's not the only way, and you know that. Pride can express itself in not receiving correction from others. Think of it this way. Nebuchadnezzar, he was actually warned. Daniel warned him, and God gave him 12 months. That's a whole year of time that he could have adjusted. His, he could change. He could have been merciful to the poor. He could have been kind to the needy. But he, he resisted the correction. Well, we can be the same way when we're proud. So, Teens and younger kids, when you resist your mom and dad's care, concerns, correction, and you respond with great intensity, maybe matching Nebuchadnezzar. You're wrong. You're ruining my life. No one will ever talk to me. Whatever it would be, 
the best response would be to be humble, to ask, Mom, Dad, I don't understand. Or, Mom, Dad, could you, could you help me here? Or, Mom, Dad, I'm afraid, I'm scared, whatever it would be. The opposite is also true. Parents, we can be proud and self-righteous as we parent our teenagers. Don't you question me. Do you know what year I was born? What were you doing then? So we got to be careful too. We are Christians. And our prayer is that our dear children will become our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to be humble. Not receiving correction from others can be an expression of pride. So when a friend comes to you and says something about a Facebook post, whether it's political or not, and they ask you a question, see it as they, it took them courage to do that. They were afraid to do that. They didn't want to do that, but they were compelled by the Lord and love for you, so they came to you. Or in any other setting, if a friend approaches you, they're doing it because they love you and care for you. I've appreciated friends that have come to me over the years. My wife comes to me regularly, not just over the years. And and I want to appreciate it. Sometimes I really appreciate it, and sometimes I'm as blind as a bat. And then she has to be patient. And then she brings it up again. And, oh, yeah, that's what you were talking about. Now, as kids get older, we have two teenagers in our house. They also have eyes and observation. So, so three witnesses is more persuasive at times than one. Um, but you get what I'm saying. We want to be humble for our own good and growth. And, and keep, keep this in mind. We're following Jesus. We are... A Christian is someone who trusts in Jesus, follows Jesus, obeys Jesus. Listen to what God says in Philippians chapter 2. This is the Lord we follow. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's to be everyone around us. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. If anyone had the right, it was Jesus. And He laid it all down. And why did He lay it down? He laid it down for us. He laid it down for you and I so that He could die as a substitute for your sins. If you're a Christian, He laid it down for the very pride that came spewing out the last week, month of fear, the anxiety, the worry. He paid for it all. If you're not yet a Christian, He died for you so you could be made right with your Maker, God Himself, by coming and putting your faith and receiving the free gift of salvation. He's so different than anyone else in all the world. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he suffered greatly for us. And the last point, don't fear. The true king has already come, and he's coming back. He will 
return. He will return. Jesus came. He ascended to heaven after he was crucified and risen from the grave. And he's coming back. Listen to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We serve the true and benevolent King Jesus. We do not need to fear. We do not need to shrink back. We do not need to be ashamed. And we must obey and follow Him. And as we do, He's going to bring many people into His kingdom through you and I. I want to end by just reading what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He had long hair. His nails had grown. His mind had left. He could do nothing but graze in grass like an animal. And look what happens in verse 34. This is a humble man. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. It's a God of mercy. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you that you love your kids. You love your children. And thank you for speaking to us through your word. Holy Spirit, we pray for very specific application in in all of our lives. And Lord, may our lives just in a greater way reflect men and women who have been rescued and forgiven and given mercy and grace that we have not deserved. And may that make us so kind and loving and patient with others, especially our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, fill us with faith as we sing to you. And we would give you all the praise and we just declare that we trust you and love you and ask this in your name. Amen.